Welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 60 plus companies, and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the angel investors and venture capitalists who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week's guest is John Lair, co-founder and general partner at Workbench. Workbench helps scale enterprise technology startups by providing community and workspace, connecting exceptional builders to Fortune 500 buyers, and co-investing in extraordinary founders tackling enormous markets. Remember, all of our shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on Google Play. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Venture Studio. In this episode, we're going to start with a few thoughts on the VC ecosystem and some recent headlines from Dave, and then we'll jump right back into Dave's amazing interview with John. So with that, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office. In office, baby. Hey, I hope you guys had a great summer and a great Labor Day weekend. Welcome back. We have a great lineup this fall. Um, really excited about it. I wanted to uh, highlight a couple things that I came across in the last week or so that I'm sure you saw as well. The first one uh, really struck me because there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was entitled, um, Andreessen Horowitz's Returns Trail Venture Capital Elite. And, uh, you know, I looked it up. The guy who wrote it is some kind of uh, CPA. No disrespect to CPAs, but it was interesting. Andreessen uh, is into a few funds already. They have a spectacular track record. They've garnered the respect of everyone in the venture capital game. And this guy contrives to write an article that puts a negative spin on what should be a story about how rapidly they reach the upper echelon of the venture game. And if you look at his methodology, he really is using an apples to oranges comparison in that uh, he's taking a snapshot of some of their current funds and and their performance, you know, where they're sort of marking their, the current valuation of companies. And he's comparing that to the likes of Sequoia that have already had uh, a whole bunch of funds that are through their life cycle. And he has the nerve to compare them, uh, complete apples and oranges. Everyone knows who's in the industry that, you know, you don't know the tail of the tape until the venture fund ends. It takes 10 years or so. And then you know how much money they return to LPs. So he's looking at Sequoia's returns to LPs, right? And then he's looking at some of Andreessen Horowitz's funds and he's taking a snapshot halfway through and saying, ah, they don't quite, quite make it, even though, even so... Andreessen is doing incredibly well. Now, I don't have a, a dog in this fight. I'm just observing, you know, as, as a professor, if a student had uh, put forth an analysis like this, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty nice to the students, but we, we'd make them do it over and we'd take them to task. And here's this guy in the Wall Street Journal um, just putting out this, this garbage and this drivel. Um, and, uh, you know, there was an uproar on Twitter. I'm sure you saw it. Andreessen came out. Andreessen Horowitz came out with a very classy response. I think it was written by uh, one of their other partners, Kapoor, um, where he calmly explained why the analysis written by this, quote, journalist, unquote, was deeply flawed. So you should check it out if you haven't seen it. But it just shows you how the press 
often is just trying to sensationalize things and try to put their own spin on it. And they're very irresponsible about it. Now, this guy in the aftermath, this journalist in the aftermath of the uproar, uh, was crowing about how he had now reached, you know, 10,000 Twitter followers or something. So his aim had been achieved, obviously. So that was definitely in the category of something uh, that I did not like. And uh, frankly, you know, you've got to have, there's got to be a standard of professionalism in journalism, especially with some of these top flight old publications like the Wall Street Journal. Otherwise, you know, just it'll be all blogs and uh, the WSJ and others in the Times won't be worth the paper they're written on. You got to have a standard. I wonder what his editor said to him when he said, yeah, I think I'm going to do a story about uh, this fund. I mean, they're getting too big for their britches. I think I'll take them down a notch. Great job. Go for it. Pathetic. And then, you know, I would say something that really caught my eye uh, that I it was in definitely in the category of something I like and respected was a blog post by a guy I really don't know. He's a junior VC at Union Square Ventures. I believe he actually just left to join a startup as a, as a product uh, manager. But the guy's name is Jonathan Liebov, Um And he wrote on his blog a post called A Junior VC. Now, I should pause there and say... Um, you know, through my role at Columbia running the entrepreneurship programs and being a teacher at the at the business school and the entrepreneurship program, you know, I've seen a generation of students come through the school, many who have become VCs or wanted to become VCs or junior VCs or now senior VCs, and I know them really well. And, you know, you can't help but observe how people uh, operate once they get into the industry um, and uh, how, how things shake out for them and, and what approach they take. Uh, as they apprentice themselves to a new world. Um, and this guy, Jonathan Liebov, wrote a spectacular piece. I really recommend you check it out, in which he says that, yes, of course, part of his job is going around meeting people, getting to know his colleagues, etc. But he's saying, really, he spent most of his time, quote, on the fringe. And he's saying that on the fringe is where you're going to find the stuff that's really exciting in venture capital, the niche, the fringe. Um, I'll quote him. He says, fringiness is in many ways vital to the business of venture capital. Sure, there's a large segment of investments that are wholly mainstream from the start, etc., etc. But there's a large segment that capitalizes on the arbitrage of thought, culture, and research. It is through this lens that investments like Airbnb, sketchy and fringy at their inception, seem so obvious in hindsight close quote there. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm not a guy who generally gives advice to everybody, but he says, let me tell you, junior VCs, mingling with investors is a good thing, but challenge yourself to isolate the investors with whom you want to keep up with. If you don't do that, it'll fill up your calendar. You'll be glad handing and networking with everybody. And, uh, you will miss, uh, the big learning opportunity, the big, uh, opportunity to find great deals at great prices. Uh, so he's saying, don't just talk to founders of investable companies, but talk to people who are experts in their field or following modes of thought that contradict mainstream thinking. Play with the APIs, go deep into the forums, mess around on the, quote, corners of the Internet. All right, I am back. Some great insights from Dave there. Up next, as promised, is Venture Studios interview with John Lair of Workbench. Stay tuned. John, it's great to have you on. How are you? 
Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Maybe the best way to start is just to dive right into Workbench because you guys are a, an enterprise venture fund, but there's a lot more going on behind the scenes with the community, etc. Tell us about it. Sure. Workbench is an enterprise-focused venture fund. We're based here in New York City on 17th and 5th, and you're spot on. There is a lot more to what we're doing because really our mission is to rethink enterprise VC based on our past experience in business of IT roles. And the two big focus areas we have are, number one, corporate engagement, and number two, around our community. And if you think about corporate engagement, really for the stage at which we invest, which is early go-to-market enterprise startups, this tends to be, for the most part, Series A is our sweet spot. And at that stage for a company, customers are like oxygen for you. You're building out, you have your product usually built out at this stage, and you're early and you're going to market, and going from your first customer to two to five, getting that product feedback, getting a sense of does your product scale, understanding the architecture limitations and getting feedback there. And then at the end of the day also, frankly, closing deals and starting to get some revenue. That's really what we're laser focused on helping companies do, and that's really the hardest thing for them to do. And then on the other side of the house community, we have a 32,000 square foot workspace dedicated to enterprise startups and really taking the long view on New York and building New York holistically. So we're not a WeWork, we're not a co-working space, we're not an accelerator taking equity, but rather we have a community where companies can rent space from us. But the goal is that everyone here is an enterprise startup, at least seed funded, and through uh, all the events that we host here, whether it's developer lunches, whether it's our annual CEO summit, 200 meetups that we host a year, it's about the shared learnings that are really unique to the enterprise. Because if you're at a WeWork and you turn to your left, the company is most likely not going through a security review with Morgan Stanley as well. And it's a pretty esoteric topic that people don't want to talk about over beer. But here at Workbench, everyone has the, sh- the same shared struggles. They're able to help one another, which is huge. Yeah, no, I've heard great things about it. And just in a few years, you've already made a huge impact. Tell us a little about, you know, some of these summits that you put on where you get all these CEOs in the same room and these conferences. Give us a sense of of the atmosphere. Yeah, so we have a few big events that we host through the year. So most notably and most recently was our Enterprise CEO Summit. And different than most funds, which only focus on their portfolio companies, we figured, let's get the whole New York community together. So we had about 70 CEOs, I think, at our first one, which was in early May. We partnered with Battery Ventures on it. And what's great is that you had everyone from two or three person companies that had just closed seed financing all the way to Dave from Mongo and Raji from Sprinkler and everyone in between. So we kept the day really focused on helping these people meet one another because it was shocking to us that, for instance, Dave from Better Cloud didn't know Daniel from Greenhouse, right? And they ended up being on a panel together that my co-founder Jess moderated. So we had a few panels that day that were very tactically oriented. But again, it was really about getting people in the room who have that same problems, the same issues that they're facing to learn from one another. And also the cool part is let the more senior companies, the Series C, D, and up give some tips to the earlier stage companies and really have an opportunity to mentor them. So it was a tremendously successful event and we'll be doing that every year going forward. That's tremendous. So it's a combination of, of the workshops, the mentorship, the community. Uh, it sounds like you have a certain number of uh, teams that work in the facility as well. How does that work? Yeah. So we have about 15 or so companies at any given time. And what's really cool is of course, have growing New York startups fully based here. So companies like Backtrace, companies like Cockroach Labs, Action IQ, Secure. What's really interesting and exciting for us is that you also have top West Coast companies who 
CoreOS, one of our investments, which is based in San Francisco, has a huge New York presence here where they have an office for their engineering team. BetterWorks, another great West Coast company, because they're selling into large enterprises, has a huge customer success outpost here. And we also have international companies from Israel, the UK, because at the end of the day, if you're selling into the enterprise, all roads lead to New York. 52 of the Fortune 500 are based here. All of your big customer accounts are here. So New York is really the magnet that can draw all these top companies together. It sounds like you're putting together, and you've already put together, a, a, a vibrant community from which the fund uh, also operates. But let's go back a little bit in time. Uh, I know you're at Morgan Stanley. You're in the CIO's office. Give us a, take us back a few years and what, what you were doing and how all this sort of came together. For sure. So most people don't graduate college and think, oh, great, enterprise software, I'm going to go change that industry, right? And I had the very fortunate opportunity to land at Morgan Stanley in the office of the CIO role, as you mentioned. And it really opened my eyes while I was there because my role specifically was to work with venture funds and really the whole startup community. So attend conferences, attend meetups. And very succinctly, it was a conduit to new tech at the firm, figure out what startups we should be doing business with who solves our pain point? Who should we really be displacing legacy vendors with? And to be there for several years, meeting hundreds of startups a year and see firsthand where IBM gets displaced here, EMC here, Cisco you rip out here, and really see them do it and not just talk the talk, opened my eyes that for Forrester, it's $700 billion of just software spent annually. It really is up for grabs over the next decade. And what's exciting for us as a venture fund is we're just at the beginning of the first inning, the bottom of the first inning here, to capitalize on this opportunity. And uh, what was really fun is while at Morgan Stanley, it's just in my nature to always be doing something in my nights and free time. So I was totally immersing myself into really the tech ecosystem here. And, uh, of course, I've been going to the New York Tech Meetup, got to meet everyone from the community, the top startups and VCs. And had went to a lot of other smaller events, too, that were on the Meetup platform. And one of the big things that stood out to me was in my day job, I'm seeing all this amazing work that startups are doing and the adoption at big banks. Why is there no really Meetup community and fun pizza and beer format to learn about the enterprise ecosystem? If you think about it, New York is the place to do that versus San Francisco because we have all the customers here. Financial services, healthcare, media, advertising, fashion, etc. So... It was late 2011, and the timing is funny, as I'll get to in a second, but uh, I actually came up with the idea to do the Enterprise Tech Meetup, playing off all this excitement and meetup in New York, and pitched it as a firm event, Morgan Stanley. And I got the head of tech banking involved. I got buy-in from the head of venture capital. But the timing was funny because it was actually at the height of Occupy Wall Street. (laughs) Remember those fun days about five years ago? And it wasn't the best time to be pitching a meetup to host at Morgan Stanley's office. So naturally, uh, compliance and then also the head of marketing shot that down immediately. And it it was a very fair point. They didn't want strangers and potentially a whole riot (laughs) in the office. So uh, I didn't want to give up on that idea. So I filed what's called an OBI, an outside business interest, and dedicated my nights and weekends to really building up the enterprise tech meetup. And uh, in the early days, Cooley was an amazing partner. They hosted the events. They were our sponsor. That's where the space, the pizza and beer came in. And uh, enterprise is kind of known to be sexier now. If you think back to early 2012, before Workday's IPO, even before Facebook's IPO, uh, it was not a real, there weren't a lot of places I could market the event. So 
I literally was doing things like trolling TechCrunch guest posts by Aaron Levy, who was the de facto enterprise blogger at the time, and literally in the comment section writing, hey, if anyone's in New York, I'm doing this meetup group. And I went on LinkedIn and I was doing the whole Paul Graham move of do things that don't scale. So I would get home and spend like four hours every night, LinkedIn groups, and, and also, of course, just networking in person too, through people I knew, through the banks and whatnot. And slowly but surely got that group up to 500 members, 1,000 members. And people like David Aronoff from Flybridge, who actually came to the first event, were critical, of course, in helping spread the word. And then Network Effect grew. And then the Workday IPO happened. And people were like, hmm, there's actually money here. There's actually tech here. That's interesting. And here we are, almost 5,000 members five years later, 50-something events. We do them every single month. And the coolest part is that this was always about growing the enterprise community, so we don't charge people to present. Uh, it's always about fun and 10-minute demos so that people could have, on the customer side, could avoid a one-hour webinar and being hounded by a vendor. But it was a bit different and nuanced than the New York Tech meetup where a two-minute demo wouldn't suffice here. And you are allowed to ask about the business models, right? So... That group really grew, and the coolest part is how it really got me in touch with Ara Donnelly, who is really our backer and co-founder here at Workbench. And so to kind of just segue into that Genesis story, so Tom Quinlan, the CEO of Ara Donnelly, had a 150-year-old company on his hands, and as they were undergoing their own digital transformation, he's an amazing forward-thinking guy. If you've ever seen The Office and Michael Scott, he's the complete opposite. I mean, he just knows how to position uh, Donnelly for the future and has done a wonderful job. So in 2012, while the meetup was getting going here in New York, he was at the MIT Media Lab with Sandy Pentland, who used to run it, and one of our founding board members, Hugo Van Buren. And the three of them were brainstorming how Donnelly could help their own digital transformation, identify new business lines, engage with the startup ecosystem really in an authentic way. And then also help their customers and position Donnelly as really a go-to source for this changing enterprise landscape. And uh, basically, while that was going up on in Boston and then realizing that they had to do it in New York, since the customers are here, I had been growing my meetup. And fortuitously, a lot of people from the meetup and Tom Quinlan and Hugo were looking for people in New York to get going. We ended up getting connected, and that this and three years later, I have my dream job. I'm so grateful. So it's pretty cool how Meetup really ended up, ended up getting me this amazing opportunity and uh, this amazing partnership with Donnelly. Oh, that's tremendous! And they're they're an old printing company by nature that is is continually reinventing itself, right? I mean, they and they have customers all over the place. Is that their their, their are, the impetus? Well, for this? Yeah, they're a $12 billion company, uh, biggest printer in the world. Over half the mail in the U.S. is uh, printed by them. And what's been cool is they're transitioning to a digital communication service provider company. And we've been, of course, just one piece of that. Uh, the whole management and executive team has just done a phenomenal job making sure that they're around the next 150 years. Wow. Oh, great hustle. Great. I love that story. That's incredible. So let's dive right into the fund. You've, this is your first fund. I see you've got about 17 yep. portfolio companies. How big is it? What are the parameters? Give us, give us the nitty-gritty. For sure. So it, we have a bit of a unique model. Fund one is $10 million, and we write on average about 500K checks into our uh, portfolio companies. And the model in fund one is to co-invest alongside institutional leads. We always like to joke that we try to be the best bang for your cap table buck for our enterprise startups. And uh, really, it's focused around being that help and go-to-market, the community, 
and uh, working with those leads, whether it's an NEA, Google Ventures, a Kleiner, et cetera, where they're, of course, leading, setting the terms and being that primary capital provider, but working closely with the founders themselves and making sure that we're very impactful on the company. And and you guys are not just investing in New York. You you have uh, you you look at companies from from around the states as well. It's not just the companies that are sitting and working in your community, correct? Exactly. So it's uh, basically we invest across the country, and so we have about forty percent of the portfolio in New York, forty percent in the SF area, twenty percent split between the uh, Boston and Virginia DC area. Okay, and broadly speaking. Uh, you know, there are a lot of founders listening, founders in enterprise. Um, what what are you looking for? Okay, Series A, Series B, what kind of stuff are you looking for these days? For sure. So starting from a market perspective, we have pri- four primary focus areas. So number one isn't anything unique, big data and machine learning, and really understanding how that's changing the way business is done in the enterprise. Number two is infrastructure, really powering the next generation data center. That's exemplified through investments in companies like CoreOS and Cockroach Labs and others, really with that Giphy moniker, Google infrastructure for everyone else, which we can dive into. Uh, Another no surprise, no brainer is security. And really the hard part here is figuring out what's new and what's actually going to generate useful help for a company and for a CISO because every security tool out there claims that they'll prevent the company from being on the front of the Wall Street Journal. And lastly is this future of the workplace uh, thesis we have around HR and analytics and training and just how people will evolve and be monitored and grow within large companies. So those are the four primary ones. And what's unique about us versus many other investors is it's really about that enterprise moniker. So if you're targeting only small, medium business, then it's probably not a fit for us. We are really going after companies that are solving that four to 1,000 pain point. Our biggest differentiator is really our domain expertise and our ability to help. So I obviously mentioned I came out of Morgan IT. My colleague and co-founder, Jess, comes out of Cisco. Other people on the team come from Bank of America, IT, Forrester Research, Viacom. So we really have that deep domain expertise where we're not former bankers. We're actually the IT people that had to implement this stuff and understand it at the companies. And we're using that practical domain expertise to really, number one, understand things on a much deeper level than many other VCs. And then number two, through the corporate engagement, which we can get into, which is very unique relative to other VCs, we have a corporate IT network of over 500 line of business heads. So of course we know CIOs, but it's also that the decision makers today, and this is what we experienced in our past lives, is if you're selling a big data tool, it goes to the head of big data or machine learning or business intelligence, right? There's nuances there. Security has many different buyers. It's not just an NCSO. Same with HR, same with infrastructure. So I like to always use the word tentacles yeah. because within a company like a Goldman, a Morgan, a Johnson & Johnson, a Merck, a Pfizer, a Dodd we want to know many different folks so that we can always connect our companies with the right people at the right time with the right messaging. And that's really the biggest value add that we can provide as an investor. That's huge. You've gone all in on the enterprise. You're making deep relationships in the the ecosystem and you guys are kind of, it sounds like you're on the cutting edge of kind of helping founders navigate a complex landscape that's, that can't be generalized. You know, it depends on what you're, what you're doing, what the latest trends are, who's, who's making a decision for this particular kind of technology. Uh, So it's kind of like, I'm almost feeling like you're creating a learning hub um, that just keeps getting, getting deeper and deeper. You're, you're spot on. And and you really get into the nuance, which I appreciate because 
reason of how things continually evolve on the buyer side is that we have two different groups of entrepreneurs we work with. One is serial entrepreneurs, right? So take our security company, V Armor. Tim Eads is the CEO there. He previously was CEO of Silvertail, which sold to RSA. We have Andy Palmer and Mike Stonebreaker, who previously co-founded Vertica, which sold to HP. We have Craig Walker, who started essentially Google Voice when he sold Grand Central to Google with Dialpad, and now he has Dialpad, right? right. So we have those guys who know the drill, and we're, yet we're still really their go-to calls for some of these big company sales because of that deep network that, again, as you hit on, is continually evolving. The buyers change at companies. People switch jobs. Uh, motivations change, the needs change. And we're our job here at Workbench is to stay really plugged into all these people that are frankly in our backyard. The other element is what uh, my co-founder Gus likes to call next enterprise, which is really these web scale founders that have come out, whether it's people leaving Facebook, Google, Square, at Nexus, like the Nexus guys. And what they've what's interesting here and what's unique to New York is that they've got very deep domain expertise now from their past lives with things like infrastructure debugging, et cetera, that even the banks aren't cutting edge enough to have solved. But what's cool about being in New York is now, unlike the Valley, they can build their product alongside the customers, even hire people who have left the banks and media and whatnot. And I think that positions them better to, as uh, so there's a company here in New York called Apprenda, and I'm friendly with the CEO, Sinclair, and he has an amazing post out yesterday about why he hires in New York. It boils down to customer empathy. Unless you've been in their shoes, unless you know how to deal with legacy pain points, legacy software that has to get integrated, and these companies like Facebook got to build everything from the ground up. You don't have that luxury at Bank of America where ATMs are still powering powered by mainframe, right? So people with customer empathy here in New York, which is unique to our talent here, pair with people leaving WebScale companies, you get the best and brightest minds with domain expertise. And we think that positions New York to really be on the rise and really have that next enterprise flair. Yeah. So those are the two types of founders we have. No, it's fascinating because, um, you know, what, what we've seen in the last five years across the country and in universities is a, a, an obsession with uh, customer development and doing it right. And Steve Blank and Lean Launchpad, and it's been fantastic. Uh, and you guys are kind of taking that to a whole nother level where uh, you are facilitating you know, or, or sort of building in uh, customer development, knowledge, empathy into the process already. So if you've got a founder um, that's diving into to a particular area, you're putting him or her through the right channels. You're putting them in front of the right people. You're accelerating their customer development, right, for those that don't have the domain expertise necessarily, right? That second class. Exactly. And I think that's a good segue to really get into how we think about corporate engagement, which, again, is really at the heart of our model. So there's two primary things we do that I think stand us apart. Number one is executive briefings. And number two are corporate roundtables. So to get into executive briefings, we host about 15 of those a quarter. And what's unique about us relative to some of the other VCs that do this is that it, let's say we set up a session around a morning or an afternoon session. You'll meet seven companies, right? We'll bring in Johnson & Johnson, CTO and CISO and direct reports or visional CIOs from GE or leaders from the big banks, right? We'll actually curate very closely an agenda that meets their needs. So whether it's a big pharma talking about security analytics or Pitney Bowes asking about machine learning infrastructure, we go to our portfolio and evaluate, we go to think through our broader community. And then what's really unique here is we actually talk with other VCs. 
So picture all the top Sand Hill Road firms that do enterprise. We're in regular contact there. So when we set up that agenda for the briefing with seven companies, usually three will be our own portfolio, but four are actually from other VCs that we view best of breed that complement what we're bringing to the table. So when you're that big company exec, you're not getting the workbench stuff just stuffed down your throat. You're getting, hey, here's a vetted view from people with domain expertise from their past jobs doing this. Giving us under half the companies or their own portfolios, so it's more authentic relationships that's not really as transactional. And, it, and at the end of the day, it builds trust. Right. It builds for the long run that next, uh, let's say, two quarters from now, they ha- they want to dive in further, or their colleagues want to get into HR tech or infrastructure tech. Right? We're able to keep those relationships going. And from our perspective, think about what just happened. VCs love us. They share more deal flow. The founders love us because we're not even investors yet. And we put them in front of a prime customer. And the corporates love us because we've really done our homework and taken a consultative approach to put relevant stuff in front of them. Guess what? 30% of those meetings result in a POC. It's a staggering figure when you think about it because we're helping all these customers, all these startups land millions of dollars in customer deals through really just doing a little bit of extra homework to say you're a fit here and being that matchmaker. Right. It's called thoughtfulness and empathy. That's, that's, that's <laughs> what it's all about, not wasting people's times. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, sorry, just to yeah, close no, the loop. Going, yeah. So the other piece is roundtables, right? So that is what you would call really corporates to startups with the executive briefing. What else we do to really build out our corporate network and stay engaged is corporate roundtables. This is no VCs, no startups in the room. It's cross-industry on topics like machine learning, security, and we're about to launch infrastructure where they meet every two to three months. We're the facilitator, so we're the only VC allowed in the room, but we're also the XIT guy that's buddies. And if you take machine learning, it's, we'll get 15 to 20 people from banks. You'll get other industries, though, like uh, media. You'll even get people like Cushman and Wakefield in the room. And what's amazing is uh, a friend of mine from Morgan, let's say, will moderate a discussion and he'll talk about how they think about machine learning organizationally and how do you hire, right? A common question in the room at um, the last roundtable was, should we look for people with domain expertise and train them on statistics, or should we try to hire the best Columbia and NYU stat PhDs and teach them domain expertise? That's a conversation that they don't get to have too often with their peers at other companies. And the big outcome there was actually that domain expertise is the harder thing, and it's easier to then just teach them statistics to become a data scientist, so to speak. So they don't get to have those conversations in, so to speak, a safe spot that are facilitated with relevant peers and other executives. We do that, and from there, again, it's all about helping the ecosystem, helping these corporates learn, and then at the end of the day, they'll come back to us when they're ready to do a deep dive in machine learning or other AI tools, and it benefits us in the long run. Oh, that's tremendous. I mean, do you think that as as you evolve Workbench um, and, and raise, you know, Fund 2, Fund 3, et cetera, that some of the, the corporates will want to get involved as, as LPs in the future? And So I'm not, I'm, I never know without lawyers in the room, right, how much you're allowed to say is a venture fund towards the future. But I can tell you that to date, at least in Fund 1, right, Corporate see a lot of strategic value in what we do. No, it really is different than, and I use the word rethink enterprise VC when we started the conversation because we're not a typical transactional VC and we're also not a McKinsey consultant, but we're bringing the best of both worlds to you. And again, playing that long game, we, our goal here is on the West Coast, and I'm going to grossly oversimplify, but 
if you look on the West Coast, people are looking for the latest and greatest whiz bank tech, right? They'll hang out in the cafeteria to Facebook, a LinkedIn, go to academia from Stanford, right? And just hound people. And then try to ram at, at tech into a use case at New York City to all of our customers. What we developed is this super novel idea, right? It's pretty practical is, what if we start with the pain point? What if we across the Fortune 1000 understand what actually resonates across the board within big data, within infrastructure. And from there, once we know that there's a pain point, once we know that there's budget dollars allocated within next 12 to 18 months, which again nails the timing element of venture, which is hard, we then can go figure out who is the best company solving this, whether you're New York, whether you're on the West Coast, whether you're UK, Israel. And the beauty is because of how we lead with so much value through inviting you to speak at the meetup, inviting you to speak at a dev lunch including you in our executive briefings. The cool thing is, unlike other VCs who will cold email entrepreneurs, we're able to talk to anyone and get allocations in the hardest rounds because, again, we're doing 20x the work and really taking such a small piece of the value back when we get these allocations in the round. There's not a lot. Am I right in saying there's not a ton of VCs doing enterprise tech, like focused on it? I mean, of course, you have Elliot Durbin from Bold Start, you guys. I we mean, love Bold Start, guys. Yeah, they're great. And Elliot's been on the show. But uh, are, are there... Are there many others? I, I'm not aware of too many. So in New York or across the country? In New York. So in New York, you have a bunch of seed funds. So you have Bold Start, you have Primary, you have Flybridge. Um, you have guys like Genicast, right? You have yeah. Bloomberg Data, who's here, right? So you, have, you actually do have a, a fair amount of seed financing. And then you also have some generalist firms that will do enterprise as well. What's really cool for us and related to our long-term vision is if you look at, though, who is dedicated to, C, to A and B in New York, is our sweet spot, there's really no one that's only doing enterprise pure play, right? You have a lot of great funds like USB and FirstMark that are doing a tremendous job and doing both enterprise and consumer, but we see the big opportunity. Let me just share some data points with you, right? From when we launched in 2013, you had Mongo, which everyone knows about, and uh, the big exit was Buddy Media. Fast forward three years, look at all the big financings and who did them. So DigitalOcean was done by Andreessen. Better Cloud was $25 million from Excel. You have Namely from Sequoia, Greenhouse, who's actually in our building, right? That's social capital and benchmark. The list goes on and on. And then you look at the newer companies like Cockroach Labs, Peter Fenton led the A. You have uh, X.AI, right? You have just so many. Well, X.AI is actually cool because that's a New York one and Two Sigma led the B. Um, and Firstmark did the A there. But holistically, West Coast funds that are from Sandal Road are poaching all of our top companies because there's no one here, number one, with the capital, and number two, with the domain expertise to capture those opportunities. So if you ask what we want to do in the long run, it's really fill that gap and be the go-to source for A and B in New York. What else do we need? I love this. What, I mean, what else do we need here in New York? I mean, El, when I talked to Elliot, he's been on the show. He was saying... We need a couple of billion dollar IPOs. You know, he had some other thoughts about, you know, there's there's kind of a hole on in Series A rounds for getting marketing people who really have the skill to articulate and, and package up uh, what what the value proposition is for any given company. But what 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 are the challenges yet before us here in the city? Sure. So I think for us to really get more legitimacy nationwide, Elliot hit the nail on the head, it's exits, right? have a lot of later stage companies that over the next couple of years, as they get acquired or IPO, it's just going to keep boosting really our ecosystem up. And what's cool is aside from the stat that, yeah, here's another billion dollar exit plus, et cetera, that talent is now going to redisperse over the ecosystem and get that mafia effect, like the PayPal mafia, but for New York. 
So what's cool is we have some smaller versions of that where media founders are active in the ecosystem. Within Enterprise, there was a uh, Voxel, actually, a hosting company from a little while ago, has spun out. And if you have founders now like Chris doing NS1, which is an enterprise startup, you have the Grafana guys and uh, plenty other folks that are, are spinning out from there. But really, we need big exits, and that's going to be a big help. Number two is on the talent side, I would say, yes, marketing is still to be sought after more on the enterprise and really having that messaging expertise. And number two, I would say, though, is um, also product people, right? So people really that can help. It's very difficult within the enterprise to get all the feedback from all these different customers, all with their own use cases, package it together into what is a, general, a comprehensive product that you can sell, and we're still growing in that area. What I would say, though, we're strong in to highlight is data science, right? Look at companies like X.A., how they're fully able to be built here, and it's all because of everything being done at Columbia, NYU. We have Cornell, Technion being built up. So that is super exciting for us, and you also have quant talent that's leaving Wall Street and hedge funds because the pay isn't the same as it used to be, and people are, frankly, ready for something new and exciting. So... I think New York is really poised in many ways, and growth and momentum is just continuing on a daily basis. No, I love to hear that. Uh, what can what can we do in the university ecosystem to to put that on steroids? That's the, my first question, and then two: How are you enticing some of the people who are already in the banks, in, in the hedge funds, etc.? Are, are you getting them by coming to your meetup, bringing them into the community, and then they they find it's very appealing? Yeah. So uh, number, uh, let's start with the second one first. Okay. Uh, that is actually spot on. And I can't, ever since leaving Morgan in mid-2013, I can't tell you how many people, I'm that Morgan guy that left to start up. So, so many people, friends of friends, will send everyone either, number one, unfortunately, there's just a lot of rifts. The business isn't the same what it used to, a reduction in force. Um, so when people get laid off, they reconsider, do I really want to now go to JP or Goldman or B of A, or maybe do I want to explore a startup? And I have a lot of friends from the banks who have done very successful uh, transitions into really customer success type roles, whether it's at companies like DocuSign or Salesforce or even startups here in New York that are uh, even growth stage because, again, they bring that customer empathy that a lot of startups were lacking. And um, I think it's not even that we have to pull teeth. A lot of people are flooding really in, in ways to, uh, to move to the startup ecosystem because the big draw, frankly, was pay, and it's just not there, and uh, there's a lot of other issues going on. Um, so now for your first question around universities. I think that the universities are doing a great job of staying engaged. What I would love to see is a way to explain enterprise pain points more so that we can get this talent working on what I'll uh, argue is more meaningful work and going to some consumer companies and moving pixels here and there, becoming a, building another Snapchat, right? If you can, there's those GE commercials that came out, uh, I guess, what was it, six months ago now, where I think it was called like Zazzy or something, where a guy is talking about building wind turbines at GE and his friend is working at a Snapchat-like company. And everyone's, of course, obsessed with the sexy Snapchat. So the more we can get data scientists building enterprise startups, and look, it doesn't have to be stuff for financial services or specific vertical, but just getting them open their eyes of what potential out there. Software is eating the world. So even if it's something like agriculture, which we don't, for instance, uh, focus on, but it's just needed out there so that all these four to 1,000 companies can help reinvent themselves. And there's just a massive opportunity out there. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you offline about how we can uh, get groups of 
students in the, in the university doing data science and et cetera over to workbench for, you know, little round tables or what have you. So we can open their eyes a little bit because you're so right. So many of them are focused on the consumer sexy stuff and they, they're not even aware of, of, uh, how, how massive and, uh, and powerful, uh, the, the enterprise space is in the, in the city. Awesome. Yeah. One thing we've done to date is the R conference, which we launched two years ago with our friend Jared Lander from Lander analytics. And, uh, we believe we get 250 data scientists and actually have to cut off because we just the uh, science because we don't have more room at workbench and uh it's co he runs the r meetup in the city with thousands and thousands of members and uh him and my co-founder desk co-host it and we get amazing academic talks we get people from financial services to speak and it's a great mix of industry but also just cool stuff happening in the r ecosystem and uh the excitement in the room you see all these people getting to see one another that have traveled from across the country for this conference and passion in the talks. It's just a phenomenal experience. In closing, what, you know, for the folks listening who are, who are intrigued, who are interested, where, do, where should they start? You know, whether it's students, whether it's folks in banks and hedge funds, what should they do to get involved with Workbench? Awesome. So first of all, go to work-bench.com right now and sign up for our Enterprise Weekly Newsletter. It's curated by my colleague, Mickey, who's our comms manager. And, uh, it's a weekly snapshot of all the key enterprise news from both the startup and the corporate landscape. So it's a way to stay on top of trends, news, and also the key events going on. And if you're a student, you're a startup, and you want to come to a meetup, if you want to come present at a dev lunch, just reach out to us at hello at workbench.com. And likewise, if you're a corporate, you want to come to a meetup or get involved with an executive briefing or roundtables, just reach out. For better or worse, we answer basically every single email that we get and um, we're here working day and night. So we'll just, our mission is grow a venture fund, but grow the enterprise community in New York. So anything we can ever do to be of help is really our mantra here. John, what you guys are doing is really just awesome for New York City, for the enterprise community. I thank you, and we'll have you back next year. Thank you very much, my friend. Awesome. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Show you around, give you a taste of business, you know? <laughs>